Think again with Borderlands Cooperative. Join us for critical conversations about things that matter. Every Friday at 10 a.m. on 3CR Community Radio, 855 a.m. on your dial. And on 3CR Digital and streaming live at 3cr.org.au. So together, let's think again about important matters affecting us, like economics, politics, education, health, climate, and what we can do about it all. Welcome to our 171st program of Think Again. Think Again is presented to you by Borderlands Cooperative, an organisation working for social change for over 25 years. I'm Jacques Boulet. And I'm Jennifer Perel. Today we're talking about the United Nations and why we do need it more than ever at present. We do need to look, and we have looked in our previous programs at a range of issues that are affecting us locally as well as globally. For example, ecology, health, economics, politics and a lot. In the environment, we're witnessing how local is personal but also uh, global, how the environment and health hang together. We learn about the pandemic, well-being, peace, ecological survival, they are all very much global matters who can only be addressed Globally, that means we need something on that global level to help us. Uh, We also have been talking a lot, actually, over the past couple of years uh, uh, about issues which are having both local reasons, emergencies, and therefore hit our local living conditions and livelihoods. Yeah, and th- of course there's the treatment of people in detention. Mm-hmm. We- we've talked before about the United Nations Anti-Torture Protocol that Australia has signed, mm-hmm. which is known as the rather wordy <laughs> name, Optional Protocol for the Convention Against Torture, or OPCAT. This relates to making sure that torture doesn't happen in places of detention, and why wouldn't we be on board with that after all? And we had guests in August 2021 and and also January this year explaining how Australia has signed this UN anti-torture protocol but has been really dragging its feet on implementing it or even organising to implement it. And we did get an extension and still didn't meet the extension. Mm. So now this anti-torture agreement is suddenly in the mainstream news for all the wrong reasons. The United Nations has actually suspended its tour of Australian detention facilities, inspections we agreed to when we signed this protocol, and the UN has accused Australia of being in breach of its obligations. Hmm. So, um, and, the, and the reason it's said we're in breach of our obligations is because the UN inspectors have been refused entry into any facilities in New South Wales, and Queensland has blocked access to mental health wards. So Australia joins the company of only three other countries which have had inspections suspended in this way, Mm. and they're Azerbaijan, Ukraine and Rwanda. Uh, And this is how the New South Wales Correctives... Sorry, New South Wales Corrections Minister Jeff Lee defended Australia's non-cooperation with the UN inspections. So, quote, because it says a lot about the attitude... 
The whole role of our jail system is to keep people safe, protect us from the criminals that we lock up every day. It's not to allow people just to wander through at their leisure. And he's, ref- he's referring to the United Nations in saying that. And, and he also says about the United Nations, he says the United Nations should be off to Iran looking for human rights violations there <laughs> and not here. Mm. So it's incredible, oh, really. God. He's saying violation of human rights doesn't happen here, only in the countries run by the bad guys yeah. who are incidentally not seen to be us. That's right. You know, and those we, we call bad guys, which are the usual suspects, aren't they? Mm. So evidently, evidently, we do need some sort of international body where nations can reach agreements to ensure our health, well-being and survival into the future. As the people and nations of the world are so intertwined, Boundaries are just ideas rather than real things. Mm. That, uh, and we are intertwined on a global level. Our fortunes are intricately connected. Yeah. And we need such an international body to be taken seriously mm. and not just cherry-pick what agreements we want to honour. Yeah, and of course that was what the, or is, what the United Nations was set up to do. So let's take a step back and have another look at the means and instruments we have or could have on a global level to address the various global and local predicaments we are experiencing. As a reminder for listeners, we presented two programs in April and May last year, 2021, on global predicaments in which we start to delve into their complexities. Unfortunately, none of those have actually gone any better since. Rather the opposite. Think about Ukraine and the growing attacks on China, especially by uh, the countries of the Anglosphere. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the drumming up of conflicts. Mm. So let's start by having a look at how some of our global instruments and institutions could help us deal with some very wicked problems facing us. And we'll start with the United Nations. So, as most people would know, the UN came about during the final months of the Second World War. A dream reportedly generated in conversations between US President F.D. Roosevelt and his wife, Eleanor Roosevelt. Um, Their dream was then shared with the UK's uh, Prime Minister at the time, Winston Churchill and others. Then a series of conferences followed, leading up to the formal declaration of the UN Charter in June 1945 by 50 governments. But um, I think we should add it wasn't all rosy, and there was certainly a lot of jostling by the nations involved in setting up the UN's terms of reference, particularly to make sure that the participating nations wouldn't be called to account for their own hmm. travesties and abuses at home through the UN Charter. So they, they wouldn't have it foisted on them um, and their own abuses exposed. Hmm, that's right. Uh, for example, the, there was a US treatment of black people came up, including mob lynchings and the death penalty. And, and there was British treatment of colonies and colonised people. So... The idealism, I guess, has always been mixed up with the politics of national interest from the mm. start. Yeah. What we often refer to as the realpolitik. And the United Nations Charter enshrined the dominance of the alliance that won the war, and I put one in quotation marks, mm-hmm. against the Axis 
countries in after in and after World War Two. The axis being Germany, Japan, and initially Italy. Yeah. And with the permanent members of the United Nations Security Council being the U.S., U.K., Russia, France, and China. Yeah, the winners basically of the Second World War. Since then, United Nations membership has grown to 193 sovereign states, the last to join being South Sudan. Yeah, and uh, despite all the criticisms, the UN, the United Nations has some really laudable objectives. They certainly do. The United Nations objectives include, for example, maintaining international peace and security, protecting human rights, delivering humanitarian aid, promoting sustainable development and upholding international law. The UN has about six principal organs to coordinate and oversee this work and this program, including the General Assembly, which makes policy in which all and in which all members, uh, 193 members, have a seat. Yeah. And then there's the Security Council, which I already mentioned, and uh, the Security Council is responsible for maintaining international peace and security. So I guess you could describe it as a peace and security council, mm-hmm. but its name is the Security Council. And the UN Security Council has five permanent members with veto power, which people might be able to guess who the five mm-hmm. are. <laughs> They're the US, UK, Russia, France and China. Mm-hmm. And again, that's the alliance of countries credited with winning World War Two. That's right. They, and they have veto power, which is quite important. Mm. Then comes the United Nations Economic and Social Council, ECOSOC, which coordinates economic and social areas and is linked with World Bank and these things. Yeah, and there's the International Court of Justice in The Hague, which we've heard a lot about mm-hmm. um, in terms of some of the things which the seas uh, around so, us, you know, China that's being right. in the seas and who's violating yeah. whose territory in the seas. And or, the, or the murders in Rwanda and all of these things. Exactly. Yep. Mm-hmm. So the International Court of Justice in The Hague um, was set up in 1945 mm-hmm. to settle legal disputes um, submitted by states in accordance with international law and to give advice on international legal matters. Mm. So the UN system, the United Nations system, also includes many specialised agencies, funds and programmes, such as, as I already mentioned, the World Bank Group, including the International Monetary Fund, the World Health Organisation, of which we have heard, heard a lot given the pandemic, the World Food Programme, also often referred to as the FAO, World Agricultural Programme, UNESCO, dealing with education and culture, and the UNICEF, dealing with children's issues. Mm-hmm. So when we look back over the history of the, of the United Nations, since World War II, uh, and in terms of what we think of as growing, the growing idea of, glo- the idea of growing globalization, there were, it waved and waned really over the time since the Second World War. Uh, initially, it was obviously very much to do with cross-country relationship building. And then from the late 50s, in the process of decolonization, with newly independent countries joining, being invited in, uh, that was where almost in a 
couple of years, the number of uh, member countries doubled. There was a very strong international global culture, probably from the 50s all the way to the early 80s or thereabouts. Uh, it strengthened, as I said, uh, because the several su- uh, successive development decades aimed at lifting the newly independent and other so-called underdeveloped countries out of poverty and into the high levels of political and economic development according to uh, the way in which we look at it. Mm-hmm. Uh, the, uh, that means the West in a capitalist kind of way, the East in a and I come back to that Cold War situation a little bit later. Uh, the, the, much of the global development effort now, meanwhile, of course, has been unmasked as a rather blatant attempt at imposing the interests of the already developed parts of the, of the world, especially those of the West, over what is now often called the Global South. Indeed, already in the 70s, the glamour of the global development project had started to wane. For example, in 1995, academic, writer and an activist as well, Emmanuel Wallerstein, referred to the, and I quote what he called it, the insurmountable contradictions of liberalism when trying to globalise development, human rights and social justice. This is what Wallerstein said, and I quote, Liberalism today is cornered by its own logic. It continues to assert the legitimacy of human rights and, a little bit less loudly, the rights of peoples. It still doesn't mean it. Uh, And he continues and concludes, The self-contradiction of the liberal ideology is total. If all humans have equal rights, and all peoples have equal rights, then we cannot maintain the kind of inegalitarian system that the capitalist world economy has been and always will be. And finally he says, but if this is openly admitted, then the capitalist world economy will have no legitimacy in the eyes of the so-called dangerous, that means the dispossessed classes. And if the system has no legitimacy, it will not survive, unquote. Mm. So that's very powerful. So we need the global coordination of an international body like the UN if we are to survive, let alone flourish. But is Wallerstein... Well, Wallerstein, mm-hmm. Wallerstein saying that much of what the UN does is built on a pro-capitalist ideology that entrenches inequality, which is in contradiction to a lot of the good work the UN does or tries to do in coordinating and promoting social and economic programs. Absolutely. Yeah. It is really the national contradictions which we all know of the capitalist system on a global level. Mm. Yeah, so the UN is criticised from a lot of sides, really, Mm. by people who want it to promote real change at a fundamental level, um, beyond just support for the very unequal status quo, which we've just referred to, and and people who don't want the UN just providing a fig leaf for the Mm -hmm. status quo by certain dominant powers when it suits, you know, for example, mm-hmm. beating other nations over the head about their human rights that's, while violating them at home, <laughs> for example. Right. 
Um, and, and then there are the autocratic oppressive regimes that deny the human rights of its citizens and residents who say the UN is merely an instrument for Western domination. And they probably get a bit of fueling for that argument That's too, right. no doubt. Mm. And then there are people in wealthier nations like ours who want to delegitimise the UN and its role, like the New South Wales Corrections Minister Jeff Lee, who I quoted. And of course, we have the current. Then we have the current populist nationalist leaders who see the UN as an egregious infringement on their national sovereignty sovereignty, like Donald Trump, or our own ScoMo for that matter. Mm. I've been moved by the wind upon the waters and the shadows as the leaves mourn. When that old wind moans on a weary way to Sunday like a friend that keeps on knocking at my home That was I've Been Moved by Kef Carmody. You're listening to Think Again, 3CR 855 AM on your dial, 3CR digital and streaming live at 3cr.org.au. We've been talking about global matters of politics, economics, human rights and so on, especially focusing on the role of the United Nations, founded during the last month of the Second World War. It is plain that the world needs another 1945 moment, like the time the UN was created. Today's UN and its many agencies could remain vital resources for effective international cooperation in fighting global threats. So why does the UN seem to be ignored, 
undermined and certainly not better used and supported to deal with the present crisis. As the present United Nations Secretary General Portuguese Antonio Guterres repeatedly stated, and I quote, COVID-19 is the greatest test we have faced together since the formation of the United Nations. This human crisis demands coordinated, inclusive and innovative action from the leading economies, mm. unquote. So, Shark, would you say we shouldn't throw out baby with the bathwater. Yeah, depending on what we call the baby and the bathwater, <laughs> indeed. Uh, well, the baby's the United Nations. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> the UN has been heavily involved in addressing the pandemic, not least establishing a multi-partner COVID-19 response and recovery uh, fund. Trust fund. Via yeah. Trust fund via the World Health Organization's agencies, such as the World Food Programme and UNICEF, have been on the pandemic front line. But Guterres has warned of COVID-related human rights abuses and a tsunami of hate mm. and xenophobia, scapegoating and scaremongering, unquote, mm. around the world. And didn't we have our share of all of that in Australia, including this country participating in the blatant discriminatory approach to the, to dis, to the distribution of affordable vaccines worldwide? We have reported about this in previous programs, including the hundreds of billions of profits to the pharmaceutical companies, the tens of new COVID billionaires, and the scandalously low vaccination rates in low-income countries. Yeah. Well, never let a good disaster go to waste. That's <laughs> I, right. I guess that's the capitalist message, as mm. Naomi mm. Klein pointed out. That's correct. Yeah. But many years of governments ignoring, circumventing or undermining the UN are taking their toll. The latest international crisis, think COVID, Ukraine, China, but also Iraq, Syria, Iran, Afghanistan, droughts, all of that kind of stuff, underscored the irrelevance of the United Nations Security Council, mm. which is meant to be the guardian of the United Nations Charter. Mm. Yeah, really highlighting, I guess, the interconnectedness of the global issues we all face, mm. which you said before, Jacques, health and well-being, the environment, economic equity, social equity, peace. They're all interconnected, mm. and we did see that with COVID. It certainly yeah, good are. Example. But unfortunately, we have been going backwards in all areas and in addressing issues at a global level. There has been a real reversal of the, the global drift demonstrated in the first 40 or so years of the United Nations with a reversal gathering pace since the 90s. Mm. As Piketty has pointed out, nationalism and often right-wing and conservative populism seem to have become the preferred vehicle of hypercapitalism, as mm. he calls it. Where we are now. And the, grow exactly, and the growing inequalities worldwide and in most countries have been telling the tale. Yeah, and all of that laying fertile ground for further rise of populist leaders around in, the world. Indeed, and often quite systematically. Mm. In contrast, if a global and collective body could make and enforce decisions which would limit the profit-making of the capitalist powers and effectively regulate the political processes that enable, enable them to make these profits, we could start to move towards Piketty's global what he calls participatory socialism. Mm. But evidently, conservative and powerful nations and the economic powers behind them don't want to be told what to do. 
by such a United Nations with real power. Mm. For example, they continue to try and diminish the United Nations' influence about climate decision-making, which would dent the profits of fossil fuel multinationals. Yeah, and of course, influential weapon manufacturers, they don't want the United Nations putting a dent in war profits either. That's right. The military-industrial complex prefers interstate hostility and tension, especially in the US and in Europe, as we have shown in recent programs. They even assist in heightening tensions because peace doesn't add to their enormous profits. Well, I guess in the US, successive Republican administrations have really shown their hostility by withdrawing UN funding. That's right. And the memory of the 2003 Iraq invasion and other US interventions flouting UN authority is still very much with us. And then there was Donald Trump's contentable attempt to blame an admittedly imperfect World Health Organization for its own COVID failures. And currently we have Biden's ignoring the UN to settle his and his party's problems, quote-unquote, with Russia and China. And we have talked about this in our previous programs. But Australia has recently not been any better. We have ignored and undermined the UN UN interventions in relation to our anti-torture obligations, as we said before. Climate policies, or their absence really under the previous governments, we have ignored their interventions about treatment, our treatment of Aboriginal peoples. The Morrison government appointed former communication minister Mitch Fifield as our permanent UN representative. Fifield is an avowed Institute of Public Affairs ad- adherent, opposing excessive government intervention in private lives and yeah. markets. Yeah, and the IPA, of course, has really been discredited these days Mm -hmm. as a right-wing body pushing a tired neoliberal ideology. Mm -hmm. And, and, And Jacques, you're saying Australia has put a proponent of this neoliberal market rules ideology... Mm-hmm. on the United Nations as our rep. That, that really says everything. <laughs> it really does, but it's not all. Tim Wilson, also an IPA member, was advocating for the privatisation of the ABC. He became the Human Rights Commissioner, and he had certainly, and this still does, a rather selective understanding of human rights, decidedly in favour of the personal or individual human rights, but against the social and collective rights. Yeah, and I get, I'm getting favouring the supposed rights for individual shoppers and consumers, rights to choose, shop and consume. <laughs> That's right. And here's Morrison, Morrison's own pronouncements against undue globalism, still ringing in our ears years after they were pronounced. So... Uh, <laughs> mm. Well... Jacques, I think we're coming really. Yeah. We're we're hesitating because we're really close to the end of the show That's now. Right. Did you say want to say anything finally before we roll up? Not really. That uh, we we will come back to it in the next program <laughs> for sure. We have because too there's much more. To say. There's more, and there's more to say. Particularly Not too much. because our. <laughs> That's right. And I guess finally, um, remember we should remember the UN's done some great work mm-hmm. in promoting holistic notions of health and well-being um, through the World Health Organization. 
notably, mm-hmm. and um, the, and it's really promoted the idea that we need to well promote health and well-being at a systemic level and look at systemic barriers and, and what barriers there are for certain groups and mm-hmm. and how do we remove them so that we can all have health and well-being. So mm-hmm. UN's done some great work around that. And mm-hmm. thinking of this, I did draw heart from the current Australian government few weeks back, <laughs> a couple of weeks back now, announcing plans to have a wellbeing budget, something we've talked about in earlier programs. But that was until I saw the latest budget, federal <laughs> budget just released. And we will also talk about that again in the future. A few very quick community announcements. Borderlands has its AGM on the 12th of November, Saturday, two o'clock. Uh, book sale was a success. Uh, we have passed on all our remaining books to the International Bookshop and the new community issue on health and community is out as we speak. Thanks for listening to Think Again on 3CR Community Radio and supporting our program. If you want to send us a message, please email borderlandsborders at borderlands.org.au. Our past programs are available on podcast and the 3CR website at 3cr.org.au. Meanwhile, please enjoy Milku Mana by King Stingray. You've been listening to a 3CR podcast produced in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au.